1: Showing your good side has many rewards. Become a donor at Griffles Plasma and your plasma can make life-saving medicines. Millions of people depend on these medicines to live healthier, more active lives. And every time you donate with Griffles Plasma, you're compensated. You
2: can receive over $500 the first month. Learn more about plasma
1: and how it helps people at Grifflesplasma.com.
3: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And
2: now it's time to drop some knowledge. We are live. We're going to let it breathe. You know the drill, just for a second. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle, powered by Overtime Media I'm your host, Chad Jensen, returned with me as always, my partner in crime. You know him, you love him. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we knew going into that Monday night show that there was a good chance my uh, hot spot wasn't going to sustain. We gave it a whirl, and after, finally I was like, you know what? Bounce out. Just let Zach carry it. And carry it, you did, my friend. Good job the other night.
1: Appreciate you. It's good to see you back though. Obviously, like I told our audience, it's always best having us together, feeding off each other, bouncing off each other. It's just the way the show goes, but happy to see you tonight. Hopefully your internet connection's good.
2: Everything's good. Everything's good. Internet's back and I've got a new, and by the way, the Monday night thing, I don't want to waste time on the show, but the Monday night thing wasn't a problem with my internet. It was in terms of what you guys are, are perceiving because, you know, it's my internet, but it was actually, by an outage from my service provider that affected half a million people. It was crazy. So anyway, tonight we've got a really cool show planned for you. We're going to talk about a couple of our favorite Bronco moments. Zach is going to share his top five Broncos moments from the 2015 season on. We'll see, depending on how much time we'll get to. I might talk about my favorite Elway moments from 83 on. Elway moments all time as a player, as as a GM. We're going to get to a poll that we ran about wide receivers, the number one wide receiver all time. Some of you might think that's a boring topic, but based on the response and the voting, it's actually some there there that Zach and I will discuss. But we're going to sink our teeth first and foremost into this uh, PFF trope that came out about Drew Locke. But first, before we get into that, let me just dispense with a couple of quick matters of business. I want to grab a super chat that's stacked up here. From our friend, Mr. Boggins, and then we'll dive into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show. You guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter really quick, <clears throat> at Huddle Up Pod. You know the drill. While you're at it, make sure you're also following at Mile High Huddle. As long as you got those two clicked and followed on Twitter, you're not going to miss anything. From breaking Broncos news to keeping your finger on the pulse of the podcast in real time. If you're in a position, gang, gentle reminder, go check out HuddleUpPod.com. Get your swag on. Get yourself one of these hats. Get yourself a T-shirt. Get yourself a Mile High Huddle hoodie, a mug. There's a little something for everybody, male, female. Check that out if you're in a position. And if you're not, guys, we ask that you at least subscribe, especially on YouTube. Like this video. And if you love what Zach and I are doing for you here tonight, make sure you share it out.
3: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.
2: All right, Zach. I know on uh, Monday night, our plan was to talk about the ESPN redraft. And you talked about it. You did a good job. What happened the next day, yesterday, on Tuesday, is that Pro Football Focus had themselves a little roundtable. I can't remember the name of the podcast. Forgive me, but I'll get to the quote here in just a minute where they really sh- kind of threw some shade at Drew Locke, very dismissive and actually brought his mom into the discussion. Now it's not as bad as it sounds, but it's still, if I'm Drew Locke, man, I'm, I'm fuming a little bit over that. And then today, Wednesday, Colin Cowherd, who has been one of the, I would say, the main national voice that is speaking optimistically or positively about Drew Locke weighed in, in a kind of response to the critics of, like PFF, who were kind of hating on Legwald, Jeff Legwald, who made those picks on in the ESPN re, uh, redraft, and of course uh, Locke himself with a bold prediction. So I want to get to that, but first things first, Zach. I want to just grab Mr. Boggins here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jumps in with a, a generous super chat. Appreciate you, my Thank friend, you, one sir. of our superstars. He says Nick Wright tried to defend his three and thirteen take on coward or prediction on coward's show. He gave zero reasons, just that you'd have to be insane to think the Broncos will challenge the Chiefs or that Locke will be a potential MVP. This is true, and it was just brought to my attention. In fact, Zach, I don't know if you saw that clip, but it was just brought to my attention uh, by Steve Baumgartner and Mr. Boggins almost exactly the same time. Right before we went live, I went and watched the clip. I would play it for you guys, but I only have a YouTube clip, and I don't know if there's some copyright issues there, so I'm not going to play the clip. But, Zach, first and foremost... PFF now you covered the ESPN redraft just in case you guys missed it Legwell picked of all you could only pick NFL current NFL players and and at pick 15 for the Denver Broncos overall Legwell picked true luck you covered that but did you see PFF's negative kind of backlash to that the next day
1: I saw where they, they they dragged his mom into the uh, the equation saying even his mom wouldn't make that pick. And like I mentioned on the last show, that's what's best for Denver. It, it's, not, it's not fantasy that Legwald made his selection. It was rooted in reality. And I think he missed the point of the exercise perhaps. Maybe he wanted – maybe the whole goal was to take a, an established player. Matt Ryan was on the board. But like I covered, Chad – What other quarterback would you take who was on the board over Drew Locke? Sam Darnold? Jimmy Garoppolo? I wouldn't take them. I would have taken Drew Locke in that spot, too. And he's the only guy drawing condemnation from this ridiculous redraft fluff piece. It's supposed to be a fun exercise, and the Broncos were the only team to draw criticism based on what? Because their own beat writer, who sees the team day in and day out, week in and week out, and has seen Drew Locke play, picked him at that spot. That's a franchise quarterback. That's the most, position, most important position in all of sports, not just the NFL. So wh- what's the problem taking a young franchise quarterback at that spot? I still don't understand.
2: I can understand why some people would be stunned that it was, that it was made, but if you give, so, get, actually give it some thought, I mean, there is, there is a real argument to be made for, on, for and on behalf of Drew Locke. Cowherd today on Wednesday did a great job of laying that out. And I want to get to it here in just a minute, but first Zach, before we move on from it, I want to read this quote because this is an argument that frankly, to me doesn't make any sense. So this is P- pro football focus analyst. His name is Kevin Cole. This is a guy who didn't like drew lock in the draft. PFF as a site did not give lock very positive grades last year. And again, we've, you know, the, the PFF does a great job with some of their advanced statistics, but from a grading perspective, as we talk about on this show all the time, they're so arbitrary and frankly, often do not match up with what is actually, you know, passing the eye test on the field. Didn't didn't give Locke very good grades. So there's a little bit of a bias. There's a little bit of a, a kind of, as I call it, a, a uh, reverse confirmation bias or an inverted confirmation bias. But let me just read you this quote. This is from J- uh, Kevin Cole. Quote, I mean, for me, he's going to be more like in the bottom five to 10 at best for quarterbacks. If you think about Locke, he was a second-round pick. So that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have a lot of success. He has five games under his belt. He had a couple of good games, but that's really not enough to go by. I want you guys to remember that. He had a couple of good games, but that's really not enough to go by. So I'm not sure what it is about Locke that people seem to be really infatuated by, but I think for Locke, he's really going to be near the end and I probably even prefer most of the quarterbacks that came this year, at least the first rounders, over Locke. So it's really tough to give him that despite the young age, the 15th overall pick in this redraft, and despite the tools that he has, close quote. So, Zach, on one hand, he's saying the sample size, not enough there. But then he says, I'll take the first rounders this year over Locke who haven't even played snap one yet in the NFL. This is an argument that collapsed in on itself because it's not not based on logic. It's not based on rationale. It's based on bias. PFF, for whatever reason, has it out for lock. So, back to what you said, it really is a matter of hashtag let them hate.
1: It's true. And you know what? Ryan Leaf was the number one overall draft pick. Brady was the sixth round draft pick. Why are we talking about draft status determining how good a quarterback can be? Drew Locke had a a fairly small sample size, but he beat the teams that were contenders in that small sample size. The Texans, the Chargers, he beat the Raiders in the last game of the season. He ended the year on an upswing. He showed enough in those five games. And it's not homeristic. It's not um being non-objective. It's not, it's not a bias on my part to say this. He showed enough for the Broncos to be the Broncos long, long-term, long-term quarterback. But to me, any credibility that PFF had, which was, it's negligible at this point because they become such a, the end all be all to most media types They become this, the sheep mentality where everyone takes them at their word. They left Justin Simmons, not to make it a non sequitur, author top 50 list. They put up a, a top 10 follow-up list, and he wasn't on there. That's the number two overall rated safety by their measure, no less, and he wasn't on there. So it's not us saying this. It's not a theory. It's not imagination. There are and There is an axe to grind against Denver, and PFF is leading that charge. It's so just part of that national media that just has it, has it in for, has it in for Denver, 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 for whatever reason.
2: James, well said here. PFF's going downhill, becoming very subjective some of their
1: stuff. Um, they used to be you know, good. They used to be very, very just scientific. It was driven by data. It wasn't driven yeah. by opinions. And I think
2: Carl and Nick talked about this last night, and Carl was onto something, how that has kind of shifted. It, I think it does. Carl's Carl is right on this, that it has something to do with the how large their staff has grown. They have so many different you – know you know the old saying, too many cooks ruin the broth? Similar concept here is that there's so many voices now that it has diluted the product and it's just not something you can trust anymore. But I remember I was there to witness PFF go from an obscure data website to becoming something that players actually coveted. I, I used to have players, you know, probably like circa 2014, 2015, before teams started providing this information to the players that would reach out to me privately after each and every game and ask what PFF graded them. What was my grade? They it would contribute to their contracts, like what they could negotiate in free agency. And in fact, who was it today? I think I was on Bradley, Ch- Bradley Chubb's Wikipedia working on an article that I was copy editing for Luke Patterson. And it references, not on the sidebar, what shows like accomplishments and official dates and accolades and school and stuff, but down in his 2019, or excuse me, 2018 season, it actually references that PFF had him as the number 82 overall, or no, the the number 40-something edge rusher. And I was like, man, you're going to put that in on Wikipedia? Now, I understand that's not something Chubb necessarily controls his own Wikipedia. We all know what Wikipedia is. But it's become, PFF, a much bigger thing in the zeitgeist of the NFL at this point. And I'm with you on that, that it's, it's really losing its luster. Now, real quick, I want to say thanks and shout-out, Stu. Zeus. Zeus coming in from way up high in the thin air of MHH Mount Rushmore to uh, show some love and support. You know, we appreciate you, Stu, each and every pod. Actually, it's been a few pods since we saw Stu. Was I don't think Stu was on uh, Monday night, right? So it's been a, few, no. been, been a few nights. So it's good to see you, Stu. Welcome back, my friend. Hope all is well. Indeed. And let me grab also, speaking of our superstars. George. George himself. Appreciate that, Super, my brother. It's good to see you in the stream. Good to be talking with you. Um, all right, so we want to get to some 7K celebration tonight. Get your guys' thoughts on it. We got this poll we want to get to. But, Zach, before we do that, I want to, and I know there's a couple other super chats. We'll get to them. Um, before we do that, I want to read – actually, now that I think about it, you know what I'm going to do on this? Let me see if it will allow me to play it through the website. I think if it's played through a, a website, we won't have – copyright issues so bear with me one second let me pull this up and maybe everyone can just watch this together
4: okay here we go let me unmute it ESPN thing got a lot of heat the sbn thing got a lot of heat like if people said oh it's ridiculous oh it's terrible it is what it is it's a list everybody's got opinions but the one thing i did think was interesting that ESPN got heat for and i don't think they're wrong i think the reality is nobody likes blowback So people say things that are convenient or obvious. So nobody, nobody gets pushback. They put drew Locke as the 15th player drafted the Denver quarterback. Now people were like, he's getting drafted over Matt Ryan, Christian McCaffrey, uh, uh, Michael Thomas, Sam Darnold, blah, 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 blah. I just want to remind you of something. And joy. And I've talked about this. Let's just, let's pretend we're all scouts here. And we're trying to predict the future of athletes. So the last two years, a quarterback has won MVP in his second year. It should be three years, but Carson Wentz got hurt late in his rookie year. So let's go to Mahomes, Wentz, and Lamar Jackson's rookie year stats. Mahomes played in one game, no touchdowns, a pick, 76 quarterback rating. That was Mahomes' rookie year. He then won the MVP. So he did nothing in his rookie year. Carson Wentz is rookie year, 16 touchdowns, 14 picks, a 79 passer rating, barely completed 62% of his throws. The following year, leading candidate MVP until he got hurt. Lamar Jackson's first year in the league, six touchdowns, three picks, 58% completion, struggled completing passes, passer rating 84. They all made massive jumps to year two to not just be good players, to be MVPs like the most valuable player in the league. So go to Drew Locke's rookie year, like Lamar Jackson doesn't get a chance until late. His numbers over a two to one touchdown to interception ratio, seven TDs, three picks 64% completion rate better than Mahomes, better than Wentz, better than Jackson and his quarterback rating rounded up to 90. He's got better stats than all of them. And Denver, because of smart drafting, Has two good running backs, three excellent young receivers, and I believe a Pro Bowl potential tight end and a defensive coach that keeps him in every game. So I I don't think Drew Locke at fifteen is outrageous. Most of the list was just, you know, you know, it's a list. I think he's the pop guy in the league this year. I think Wentz popped, Lamar popped, Mahomes popped. I think it's him. I think he's a he's a cagey, big arm. You know, he's got a little baker. He wants to ad lib a little bit, but he's not quite. He didn't go into the weeds as much with some social stuff and some of his commentary. I think he's a huge talent. And that's why I've said this year, you know, in the NFL, somebody's going to win a division and we're going to be shocked. Don't be shocked if Denver beats Kansas City. Not saying Kansas City's plummeting. Little Super Bowl winning hangover. They go back to 11 wins. Denver wins 12. It's not crazy. I think Drew Locke's the next pop guy in this league. All right.
2: Facts. So a little bit of a, a clip there. But, Zach, <clears throat> how is Colin Cowherd just going crazy with the orange Kool Aid? Does he need to back off a little yeah. bit, or do you think he's within the realm of the reasonable?
1: I think he's 95% reasonable. The only thing that I kind of disagree is saying the Broncos are going to leapfrog Kansas City. I know he said it's possible, but that's still a tough task for any team in the, in the league, and you know, especially so for a young team like the Broncos with Drew Locke going into his first season as a starter. I, I think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll have a winning record, but to say they'll leapfrog them and win the West, that's a little too optimistic for me. They have to prove, and Drew Locke lost a lot to prove himself also, so I think he's dead on, though, and he's pushing back against his own national media types, his fellow writers, his fellow reporters, the blue check marks, the sheep out there, the group think that are all slamming Denver and bashing Denver for taking Drew Locke in a fun redraft exercise because he's the young franchise quarterback, and it can be the year of Drew Locke. He cited Mahomes. He cited Lamar Jackson. Why not Drew? Why? Because it's the Broncos, and that's what he's saying, and that's where I think he's mostly
3: accurate. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: It, does it guarantee that Drew Locke is going to be that next big time second year quarterback to take the league by storm? No. But at the same time, Zach, so many of those stars are aligning for him. Like he's getting set up arguably with a supporting cast that could rival what Mahomes inherited in his second year in Kansas City. It could rival what um, <clears throat> Jackson ended up having and even going back to Wentz in 2017. So he's still got to put it all together. You know, there's no guarantees. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't exactly and perfectly predict the future. But getting back to, as Christy's bringing up here, and by the way, it's good to see you. KR, the queen of MHH, jumping in with an extremely generous super, as always. She says, Locke is a Bronco, so now the bias, no good PFF. And Zach, Christy's awesome. First of all, by the way, Christy, you did a good job. Yeah. We, we rolled with the punches of a little technical glitch the other night, but you did great. So thanks, and we're, we're looking forward to having you back on again sometime here in the near future. But Zach, here's the thing. When it comes to bias, I mean, you see it all the time in our industry. We have colleagues, uh, not necessarily opponents, but rivals and competition that, you know, they'll have a really strong take, Maybe especially you see it often in the draft, right? It's guys who make a bold prediction or have a really strong take about prospect X. And then prospect X goes on to kind of outkick that coverage, does better than what their prediction was for them. And at that point – you can kind of separate the hot take artists and the true, the guys that have real character from the, you know, from the dudes that are, are actually what's a good word to put? it? Well, from the legit, the legit analysts, and that is that, you, you they can stand up and say I was wrong. They either say, look, I was wrong on this guy, I'm eating my crow, or they double down. And in this case, you're seeing PFF double down Zach.
1: You know, though, if it was Baker Mayfield at 15, would they have the same rage and same criticism? If it was Sam Darnold at 15 for the Broncos, would they be all up in arms about this? I don't understand why Drew Locke, him and his only him is drawing this sort of criticism. Then Denver took him over. All the it was national headlines based on a redraft that the Broncos in this fantasy exercise took their own quarterback who went four and one. And they're building around this offseason. I love that coward sticking to his guns and he's going against the green, even though he will draw flack for that as well. He's sticking to his convictions. The one thing I don't like, Chad, is fraudulent. People, in any scenario, especially media types, sports reporters, sports writers, they hop on one bandwagon to another, they go with the popular sentiment, they follow the sheep mentality. He's going against the grain. He's sticking to his guns, and I respect that from Coward.
2: Terry says, what did Mahomes and Jackson do in their rookie season? I don't have their stats pulled up right in front of me, but I'll just read to you from that quote uh, from Coward. uh, For Jackson – so, so, Carson Wentz, rookie year, 16 touchdowns, 14 picks, 79 passer rating, completed 62% of his throws. Lamar Jackson, rookie year, six TDs, three picks, didn't even complete 60%. He was at 58, it passer rating of 84. Mahomes, uh, let's see, he only had that one start, and it was against the Broncos, vanquishing Paxton Lynch, no TDs, an interception, 76 quarterback rank uh, rating. So, Locke on all fronts vanquishes those guys. Now, that, that's no guarantee that, you know, it's going to mean that he's going to follow the exact same kind of trajectory as they did in year two. But that's what I mean by when people say it, try to dismiss Locke because of the sample size argument. It's not like we didn't learn anything about Drew Locke in those five games. We learned a lot. And I think you can tell just by the way the organization in Denver attacked the 2020 offseason. They're telling you very clearly that what they saw both on the field and behind the scenes, the way he lit up the locker room, you know, I mean, I got to remind people here, the Broncos had won three games by the time they got to week 13, three games. And so you can say on one hand, no, it wasn't all Locke that, you know, you can't just give Locke all the credit for the Broncos finishing four and one last season. And yeah, you can't give him all the credit, but you do have to give him credit for the fact that, he not only matched those three wins, he got one extra in five games, in five games. So this is a guy that I think is very much out to prove himself, that fall into the second round and, you know, the, the ignominity ignominy of, of sitting in the green room, Zach, and then not getting picked, the Aaron Rodgers treatment, but worse, having to go home to the hotel room on draft night and then just saying, screw it, I'm not coming back. Uh, and he finally got picked, and he still didn't come back. He eventually came back to, for a photo op with fans and whatnot, but he did not come back to the green room. So he's got a chip on his shoulder, and I think that's part of what fueled him last year, Zach, when why we saw that quantum leap from the third preseason game,
1: yeah. exiled for 11 weeks, week 13 on. I do give him actually the bulk of the credit. You could talk about the defense was starting to play a little better toward the end of the year. Von Miller was starting to be more Von-like. But this is the same team that Drew Locke played with. It was the same offense, Chad, that Flacco had, that Brandon Allen had. They couldn't get it done. Drew Locke comes in cold, off injured list, out of the out of the picture for a while. He leads them to upset wins over Houston, over the Chargers. He beat the Raiders. He came back from adversity after losing to the Chiefs. He is the reason the Broncos went four-and-one. And QB wins to me is most important over anything else. Chad, I don't care about statistics. I care about wins. You talk about Nick Foles, for example, when he took over for Carson Wentz. Why do you think he got a huge contract from the Jacksonville Jaguars? Because he won in the postseason. He's a winner. He got it done at the proper time. Same with Drew Locke. Small sample size, lots of proof, but he did go four and one from what we saw in him and him not playing that much wasn't his fault. I don't know why it's being held against him because he didn't play that much as a rookie. Now in the second season, the Broncos have done everything they can. Every move they've made this offseason has been tailored around Locke building around their young franchise quarterback. Again, I don't see the hate. He went 4-1. and He showed enough as a franchise quarterback. He lit the team up, like you said, on the field, off the field. He made everyone around him better from the the third-string running back to the fourth-string wide receiver. Why the criticism? Because it's the Denver Broncos, and I'll never understand that.
2: Because it's the Denver Broncos, and because people had really strong takes on Locke, and they felt like they were safe with their take because he didn't get picked in the first round. And so they could— they could kind of hide behind that, if you will, Zach. In, in, as you know, in safety, he ended up going in the second round. He's going to be behind Joe Flacco. Then he injures his thumb. Nobody, nobody expected him to do what he did in those final five games. Even his biggest supporters, <clears throat> did they expect to see that big of a leap from him? And so now they they're basically scrambling and they painted themselves into a corner. And you know, it's it's actually pretty transparent. Now, I can understand how some people could gripe about, you know, some of the some of the people that some of the players and quarterbacks and whatnot that Legwald omitted or passed over to take Locke there. But like the guy said on last night's show, you know, if anyone knows Locke right now at this point, it's Legwald, who's former uh, Pro Football Writers of America president, longtime Denver beat writer, a bona fide insider at Dove Valley. He knows the score. He knows the lay of the land. He knows what's going on with Drew Lock, and he's, he's a believer. By the way, BNS jumping in, $2 super. Really appreciate you, my friend. And it was good to hear from you also uh, via that email. He says, Dak Prescott 4th, Wilson 3rd, Tom Brady 6th doesn't matter. That's
1: what I'm saying, like who cares about draft status? How many crappy quarterbacks went in the first round? How many great quarterbacks like you just laid out went in the later rounds? Draft status means nothing. The Broncos found over the years so many undrafted free agents that became stars. Who cares about draft as long as you find good players? Doesn't matter how or when or where you find them.
2: All right, let's grab a couple of these supers and then we will turn the page and get to our 7K week. Joseph Carson jumping in ten dollars super appreciate you, that my friend he says today was definitely a Wednesday thank you sirs for providing a much needed distraction uh, in this crazy world our pleasure and thanks for joining us man you guys do the same thing for us and you know that is it Wednesday though all the days just kind of held <laughs> together it is Wednesday Eclipse Stormborn bona fide super chat wow. superstar very generous super thank you and it's good to see him my friend he says Happy Hump Day priests and Broncos country. What is you guys' favorite Broncos tidbit that you would like to throw out there? Mine is I like to remind fans that Shannon Sharp originally wore 81. I've been a fan since 91. Hashtag 7K plus. I like that. Plus. Um, a Broncos tidbit that you'd like to throw out there. Um, I got mine. <laughs> I got a couple that I don't, you know, that involve me that I don't like to talk about publicly. So when uh <laughs> when we finally do a, a, an event where we bring in, uh, you know, meet listeners and do all that stuff, whether it's at a Broncos tailgate or, you know, at a Raiders tailgate when the Broncos are there, we'll figure
1: something out. But either way, I'll share some of that, those details with you. But what do you got, Zach? I, I, if I'm reading the question, question correctly, I think the fact that Jerry Rice was a Bronco, I think that went unnoticed by a lot of people. It was very temporary and it was kind of at the tail end of his career, but that's a good trivia tidbit that I think some – Fans, at least NFL fans, aren't aware of.
2: You know, as far as like trivia tidbits, that's
1: what I thought the question meant. I don't know. Yeah,
2: and I'm—I don't really have anything off the top of my head, but I'll tell you that uh, the first football memory that I have was the Super Bowl. Well, which number was it? Well, it was the Broncos—Redskins Super Bowl, where the Broncos got out to a little bit of a lead. <clears throat> So it was in early eight. It was in January of eighty eight. Might have been February of eighty eight. Is when it took place off the eighty seven season. A little bit of a lead, and then all of a sudden, Doug Williams and um, company came storming back. That was my first memory of football, and it happened to be the Super Bowl. Being at a party, and you know everybody watching it, and that kind of started this whole crazy thing that basically eventually became Mile High Huddle and Mike Evans jumping in ten dollars Super. Thank, you, Thank Mike. you, Mike. Good to see you as always, my friend. All chips in the middle of the table for Drew Locke. No, not looking back. Hey, man, that's what Elway's doing right now. He has sold out. All the chips are down. And I like your verbiage there, Mike. All the chips are down. And, you know, this – honestly, Zach, at this point, Elway's legacy as a front office GM hinges on whether or not Drew Locke can cash in all those chips right now. The, The bet pays off. The I mean, he's got this year left on his deal, and then 2021 does John Elway. That's going to be more than enough time for Drew Locke to give the haters a little bit more than a five-game sample size.
1: And you know what? The same, like I mentioned on, 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 uh, on Monday's pod, the same people who are hating on him now will come flocking to the bandwagon when Drew Locke has ended up winning. And I hope by then Broncos fans, Broncos players, and Locke himself and even his mom push back against all these fake, phony, fraudulent types who are bashing him now and then want to root for him when he succeeds. Because he will succeed, and he will make Adam excuse me, he will make Nick Wright eat his words, just like Adam Wright did last year. 3-13 is ridiculous, Chad. I don't care yeah. who you are or who the Broncos have on their schedule. 3-13 is ridiculous.
3: It's not going to happen. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy girl.
2: Yeah, it is ridiculous. Terry Proven, as always, up in Canada, Broncos country is not a geographic location. It is a state of being. Appreciate that, my friend. Much Thank love you. to you as well. Uh, here's Nick jumping in, <clears throat> letting us know, reminding everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> lock out better year after year in college. And you could see how smart he was at this. that same progress showed itself from preseason until his week 13 start. FNW. Yeah, Right. Hey man, maybe you can get a new hashtag going, but yeah, Locke did show progress and he played one thing people got to remember. He played in the Uber sec, man. And on one of the worst teams that always comes up smallest in recruiting in the sec in Missouri. So he had a lot of talent. I mean, look at John Elway, not a lot of quarterbacks that actually go on to accomplish big things in, in the NFL, achieve big things on a team perspective in college there are exceptions but most of them didn't i mean what did russell wilson accomplish in college at from a team perspective yeah. nothing what did john elway accomplish at stanford not really much to write home about there was a few big wins in a bowl uh, a rose bowl but not a lot to write home about so equating whether or not a quarterback – now, it's always a positive if that quarterback comes from a winning program. It's always a positive if that – if you can be a guy like Tua who's you know won the national championship, that, that's always a nice arrow to have in your quiver if you're a quarterback entering the NFL. But more often than not, Zach, those quarterbacks that are on those big-time winning teams, at the college level at least, it's more often a result of the team just being stacked across the board than it is the elite quarterback. And Joe Burrow might be another exception to that, and eventually uh, Trevor Lawrence as well. But it's not necessarily a marker for success in the NFL. And Drew Locke, I think, exemplifies that coming from Missouri.
1: Yeah, I fully agree with that. In college, it's a whole different animal because the schedule is staggered. You face a lot of crappy teams if you're a powerhouse team. You can have stars all over the team on offense and defense. But about Drew Locke in the NFL... What did he have in terms of his deck that he got handed last year, Chad? He had a, a pretty subpar offensive line. He had Elijah Wilkins starting a tackle. He had Ronald Leary in and out of the lineup. I mean, he had at receiver Cortland Sutton, and then just a bunch of Jags for the most part. He had Phillip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. Now look at the talent surrounding him. They've got better at every level on offense. Why would you not think he's going to take an even bigger step forward? I'm not saying he's going to be MVP. Not saying they're going to win a title with Drew Locke. But to say 3 and 13 or say, why did you pick him at 15? Why he doesn't deserve this? Yes, he does. He's a young franchise quarterback who, again, went 4 and 1 with every single factor working against the guy, including also a crappy offensive coordinator who they fired right after the season.
2: A first time rookie offensive coordinator to boot. Well said, my friend. All right, let's get to some 7K celebrations here. I know there's a couple other supers stacked up. We're going to get to them, I promise you. Zach. I'm dying to know what your top five <laughs> Bronco moments are from 2015 on. Oh, Drop some knowledge on us. We'll just start with number five. Okay. Lay it out there, and then we'll talk about it.
1: Yeah, I really didn't do that. I, I put this not in order, and I listen. I okay. haven't gotten I haven't gotten much to work with since I started covering the team. They haven't made the playoffs I've been on the beat. It's the Caliberman curse. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I I will say though, start with uh, 2017. That Cowboys victory week two. That was mm-hmm. one of the most dominant Broncos wins that I've seen since I started covering the team. Literally everything. Was just they had a pick six. They had touchdowns. Vance Joseph looked competent in that game. It was just a fun Broncos game to watch on from 60 minutes, and we haven't seen that uh, too often, Jeff yeah, because again, guys, if you put this to within the scope of 2015
2: on, and so we can count the Super Bowl year, of course, let's say post Super Bowl fifty. that yeah, was I, one of the most triumphant moments, and it actually gave Broncos country quite a lift. I mean, we were both covering the team by and at that point. And after Vance Joseph eked out that week one win, having the time of his life, Shelby Harris tips the kick and uh, the Broncos win, beat the Chargers in week one the next week to stomp the Cowboys, who I'll remind everybody that previous year had been a powerhouse with Dak and a powerhouse with Zeke, gotten into the playoffs. I want to say they got to the divisional round, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they were perceived at the time as a powerhouse in in the NFL. They ended up having a really terrible year that year. And the Broncos, I think, beating the snot out of them in week two was a big reason
1: why. They held Zeke to nothing in that game. It was like what nine yards on eleven carries or something like that. It was just a, a wholly dominant effort. And yeah, I'm doing from 2016 until now, pretty much. I'm not really okay. counting 2015 is too easy. They won the they won the Super Bowl. True. So uh, number two, I'm gonna say the Justin Simmons Will Park Saints walk off. Uh, block field goal return. That was, from a football fan standpoint, that was one of the most exciting plays I've ever seen. Two rookies making a huge impact. Gary Kubiak's last year, Chad. To yep. win a game like that in New Orleans, in the Superdome, uh, on, on that degree, it was just phenomenal.
2: Yeah, I mean, you had Trevor Simeon dueling against Drew Brees. <laughs> And Bron- the Broncos, you know, took a little gift from the football gods there at the end on a play that you don't often see in the NFL. But, yeah, that was a very iconic moment, not in terms of grand scheme of things, Broncos history, but from this small window of time that we're talking about, which has been one of the worst from a you know winning perspective in the team and owls, right? All time, three consecutive losing seasons, four straight years without the playoffs. So this is an unprecedented four-year period for the Denver Broncos that we're talking about. So we're celebrating here and talking about Zach's moments, the things that you you can hang your head on if you're a Broncos fan. So I agree with you. That was an iconic moment of this little four-year era.
1: Yeah, that was. um, you started to see Justin Simmons. You saw his potential. His star was starting to shine. He's making plays always around the football. That was a real great game. Uh, Moving on to number three, though. Locke beating the Texans last year. I mean, that was a statement win for a rookie quarterback. It was just a dominant effort for me, beating a contending team the way they did. The entire Broncos team looked much different. I hadn't seen the Broncos offense look that energized since I watched Peyton Manning captain the Broncos in 2015 and before that. So, uh, great game. And you saw Drew Locke take that franchise quarterback mantle by hold and extrapolate that over the course of his remaining games.
2: It wasn't just Drew Locke and the Broncos blowing out an opponent it was drew lock and the broncos making history in fact because not only were the houston texans a playoff bound team by that point already but they were the afc south champs i mean they're the champs and drew lock basically blew them out of the water by the by by the end of the second quarter it was over and not only that drew lock became the first quarterback in the modern era since the super bowl became a thing all right that's a long time more than 50 years the first quarterback ever to go on the road for the first time and pass for over 300 yards and three touchdowns in the process. Never been done before. So I would agree with you. Iconic watershed moment for the team. And hopefully, as as the way we're viewing this right now, a harbinger of things to come.
1: I'm going to move on to number four, Chad. Uh, This was an easy one for me, firing Vance Joseph, and then subsequently hiring Vic Fangio. Not only do you cut bait with one of the worst coaches of all time I've ever seen in any capacity, you hire a defensive, I think a mastermind, a guru who is the perfect man for the job to get the culture right, to get the team whipped back in shape, and you saw it take hold last year. They didn't have a winning record, and it didn't go according to plan, but 7-9, considering the circumstances, Vance would have never done that. In fact, he didn't do it. He didn't have the capabilities. They gave him an extra year too long, but finally Elway had enough sense to cut bait when he did. And not only that, they didn't hire Mike Munchak. They didn't hire Zach Taylor. They hired a, a respected guy who earned his dues and, and was made to be a head coach at this point in his career.
2: You know, unfortunately for VJ, like – you know, Elway was really brokenhearted that it didn't work out. And even when he did f- have to fire him that morning on uh, Black Monday, they call it, and then come out two hours later and talk about it to, to media, he was really crestfallen for obvious reasons because he, was, he had become friends with Joseph and he had believed in Joseph. And he said, Jose- Vance is a good man, and he is. And I think that if Joseph would have inherited this job at just a slightly different point in time on the continuum of Broncos football, he probably would have had a little, a lot better success. If he would have stepped into an, a, a situation, for example, like Mike Tomlin who steps in, and I'm not just saying that for obvious reasons, but a young first time head coach coming into a, you know, new situation with a established quarterback. If if VJ would have inherited a team with an established quarterback, Tomlin had, uh, ben Roethlisberger, who had already won a Super Bowl by that point in his career, if VJ would have – but but asking VJ to not only preside over a very young team, two years removed from a Super Bowl, but to develop a young quarterback as a defensive guy. I know he used to play quarterback at CU, but still, that just wasn't his forte. So in a lot of ways, the deck was stacked against VJ from it working out, but I'm with you. When that time came to rip that Band-Aid off, it had to be done, and I'll give you credit, Zach – you were one of the first that I can think of in the Broncos blogosphere and in the, in the media landscape in Denver pointing to Vic Fangio as a candidate before he even landed uh, as, as an interviewee for the Denver Broncos. And that, that news even broke. You were talking about Vic Fangio. And we had that article. This was back when we were on, when Mile High Huddle was on 247 Sports. We had that article that had a list of coaches, uh, candidates for the Broncos head coaching vacancy over a million people read that article and Vic Fangio of course was added to that after you really put him on the map in terms of our consciousness our perception of of the situation
1: Yeah, I mean, he he's just a guy who I followed throughout his career in San Francisco and then Chicago. He's a a tough-nosed, old-school guy who was just what the Broncos needed. They were way too lax under Vance Joseph. And to your point, Chad, some guys just aren't made to be head coaches. I mean, look at Josh McDaniels. You can name a billion coaches. And even, I would say, Vance is not even cut out to be a coordinator. He's going to be the reason the Cardinals will make the playoffs this year. I'm just so happy they finally cut that bandit off, like you said, and replaced and, and covered that wound, not with Neosporin, but with Stitches. They covered that wound the way they should have done with a hard-nosed guy who can come in and light the team and get them back on the right track. I'm going to close this out, though. This is pretty much an easy declaration, getting Locke in the second round. Franchise quarterback, finding him at 42 overall. You didn't you know, panic and get him in the top 10. You didn't take him too early. You, you let the, the board fall to you. And to get your franchise guy in the second round for pennies on the dollar, having him on his rookie deal, and you build a Super Bowl, eventually caliber team around him. How do you hate on that? And that's why I push back against the criticism that they he shouldn't have been at 15 because he was a second-round pick. That's actually a credit to the Broncos for getting him in the second round. You don't get many franchise guys that late. Look at all the first-round busts there have been, including, I think, Joe Burrow's not going to live up to his expectations. Cincinnati, he was number one overall pick. So getting your, getting your guy at 42, Chad, that was number one for me.
2: And also, knowing what they know now about Drew Locke, do you think right. Drew Locke would have gotten past the Broncos at 10? No. You don't if wait to Bronco, get guys. If the Broncos knew then what they know now about Locke, and I know that's, you know, what it should have, could have type stuff, but still, they don't trade back to 20 with Pittsburgh and take no offense, and then wait again and take Dalton Reisner at 41, then take Drew Locke. They take Drew Locke at 10, which actually goes to and speaks to the very same issue with ESPN. Knowing what we know now about Locke, there, I think, are quite a few teams that would have taken him in the first round in 2019 if they could have a do-over, Broncos included. So putting him as the number 15 overall player selected in a fictitious fantasy land uh, redraft is not as out of the box as you think. But that, by the way, I agree with you. That has to be the turning point moment for this franchise post Super Bowl 50 is the Drew Locke draft pick. Well done. Let me grab this real quick from Mark, who's been waiting patiently like a good boy. Appreciate you, my friend. Very generous. Super chat. What's up, my guys? Hashtag horse. What rhymes? Doodle do lock. Leave the kid alone. Let him play. My God, he is our franchise. No matter what. Hashtag Garrett. Middle name is toilet bowls. Hashtag football priest. Hashtag Chad gangsta. Hashtag uncle Zach Perna. Hashtag Brandon is a dad. Perna. That's right. That's right. We uh, we knew that Brandon was a, uh, broke the you know broke the news to us when we had him on the podcast whenever that was I don't remember that they were expecting and of course we kept that under our hat we're not gonna tell anybody um and he just of course announced that not just not too long ago so it's congrats to him and his wife and it's going to be cool uh to see how that little girl I'm pretty sure it's a girl if I'm not mistaken uh is gonna end up being a, a little YouTube star on that's good sports I'm sure
1: yeah, and I just had two honorable mentions, though, to add to my list, Chad. Yeah, Let me do it, do R- really quickly, uh, the uh, Akeep a- a- Taleb, michael Crabtree feud, the chain snatching, <laughs> that was just so fun yeah. and so entertaining. That was pure theater. And not only did it do it once, he did it twice. Even Crabtree taped the chain to his chest to make sure he wouldn't snatch it, and Talib still did. I, I love Talib when he was a good player in Denver, when he was relevant before he fell off. He was just so fun to watch, Chad.
2: Speaking of fall off, I loved when they finally beat the Patriots in uh, the AFC title game 2015 the, leading to the Super Bowl. The uh, Whoever was covering the game, was it ABC? No, no, no. Or excuse me, it was CBS, I think. Anyway, they had the whole stage on the sideline, and they call Talib up after to celebrate, and he's just on seventh heaven, just having a good old time. And he jumps onto the stage and falls <laughs> off the back of the stage and it pops back up. And, like, you know, Talib, he is one of those guys where – When things are going good, he's a guy you want to go to war with. He's a guy you need to have around when you're going to war. But if things start getting a little dicey and it's not perfect sailing, you know, and that's not to take away from him or say that he's not, he wasn't a tough or isn't a tough player. Very physical, very tough, underrated in terms of his football IQ, extremely smart corner. But just from a, from a, uh, what's a word to put, social aspect in the locker room, when things started turning south, he's a guy that can make it, can kind of accelerate things. So the Broncos had to move on from him. But they got four yeah. excellent years out of him.
1: And they did, yeah. And my second one, real quick, was the Steelers' victory where Will Parks met at the goal line, forced the fumble. Great game. Just, just came down to the last minute. I think Shelby Harris, uh, he had to pick in the end zone that to seal it, if I'm remembering right. the same game correctly. Yep. That's same just game. two watermark plays right there. And that's just, it was fun to watch from each other. We, ha- we haven't had many fun games last through, let's be honest. Last three years, and that was definitely one of them.
2: Yep, Shelby Harris again. He's got that clutch gene, man. When it, when the chips are down and someone needs to make a play in the you know usually it's on the last possession or you know walk off kick whatever he finds a way to make those plays. Uh, Joe wants to know here. He says, "Hey guys, love your content. Appreciate that. I've wondered this for a while. But was Locke known in college for the same work ethic he's shown in Denver so far?" I didn't hear much about his intangibles coming out. His intangibles were never really in question um, coming out from a work ethic perspective. I don't know that there was a lot talked about in terms of him being a really like an inordinately hard
1: worker, but there was never any question about his work <laughs> ethic that I can recall Zach. Yeah, he wasn't Paxton Lynch playing World of Warcraft no. and, and GTA in his free time. He was he was getting it an in, and he was dealing with a lot of turnover in Missouri, but he was always known as a gunslinger. He was always known as a guy who lived and breathed and ate and drank football, and that carried over into the NFL. All right, James, jumping in from across the pond, supporting the channel as
2: always. Appreciate you, James. Thank you, James. He says, my biggest takeaway from the Cowherd um, VT, he really believes in the rebuild and in Denver's recent drafts to build around Locke, well-run operationally. Indeed. And that's an excellent point. And it speaks to, when you, when you hear me say that the stars are aligning for Locke, comparing it to what Patrick Mahomes inherited in 2018. Very similar. I mean, the Broncos rebuilt the interior of the O-line. You've got two you know, I'm not trying to make an indictment conversation or create an indictment conversation on Garrett Bowles, but you've got two veteran now offensive tackles. That's that's as optimistic as I'll say about Bowles and a rebuilt interior. Why is that important? Locke, like most quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks, their Achilles heel is interior pressure, pressure in their face. So you've got Reisner, you got Cushenberry, and now you've got Glasgow and they're going to keep the, that pocket stable for him to step up and make his throws. All Bowles and James have to do is run those edge rushers around the edge and let and let Locke step up yeah. and make those throws. So that's just the, the O-line. Then you look at the skill position, Zach. You look at what the Broncos did going out and drafting Jerry Judy. Still, I think to this point, it's, it's almost underrated. People still don't realize how awesome Jerry Judy is and what yeah. he's going to do. Like – we love Cortland Sutton. We think Cortland Sutton's a phenomenal player. We talked about it just three podcasts ago, how special Sutton is. But it would not surprise me if it ends up being Jerry Judy as Batman and Sutton as Robin. Seriously, might take a year or two to get there, but Jerry Judy is an immensely talented player. K.J. Hamler, not only is he an explosive and just a jo- human joystick, a legit one, but between the years, he's got it. Extremely humble, extremely smart. And it's just gonna be fun to see how it all comes together, especially you th- look at the tight ends too. No fant. You got Albert O, who can run sub four five as a tight end. So you've heard me say it before, Drew Locke in twenty twenty is loaded for bear. And that's one of the reasons why Cowherd is, you know,
1: really high on him. Then you have Melvin Gordon. Then you have Philip Lindsay. I mean, from literally every position on offense has been upgraded from last year when Locke went four and one. And, and speaking on, on James's point, it, it's on Locke as well to not throw off platform, to not throw off his back foot, to step up in the pocket. He will learn how to do that. It was his only flaw, I think, last year. But I was actually going to put on my list the shift in thinking that Elway has done the last couple years, going from taking chances on high ups, you know, high floor excuse me, high ceiling, low four prospects, you know, projects, unproven players, and 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 positioning them with band-aid quarterbacks like Joe Flacco, Case Keenum, Brock Osweiler. He went away from all that. He went from four-year players, team captains. He got his young franchise quarterback, and Elway leaned on, most importantly, those around him, Chad. Matt Russell, his scouts, he trusted other players and other people in the facility to make decisions. He didn't just hoard it for himself. So that the shift in paradigm in Denver the last couple of years – it's no coincidence as to why they've knocked the 2018 draft class, 2019 draft class, and the 2020 draft class out of the park.
2: Well said. Well said, my friend. Yeah, that 2015 season with Peyton basically playing with half his body tied behind, uh, tied behind his back, it really was seductive and <clears throat> alluring in terms of convincing Elway that by virtue of his defense, his prowess in, in building a defense – that the Broncos were year in and year out one middle of the road quarterback away from winning it all again. Yeah. And he couldn't have been more wrong. That, that was a GM underappreciating Peyton Manning's role in that Super Bowl 50 world championship and how important it is to have the right guys at the right spot. And that's not to say that he ignored the quarterback position. He did swing for the fences, but Paxton Lynch was just that set this franchise back three, yeah. four years. Um, by the way, our friend Larry, Broncos fan number 24 on YouTube, jumping in. Thank $10 you, Larry. Super appreciate you, my, my brother. He says, I tweeted a YouTube link of Nick Wright defending Mahomes going into his first season as a starter unknown. The hypocrisy is amazing. It'll make Zach lose his mind. Larry, if we weren't quite so far into tonight's podcast, I would maybe go find that and play it, but we'll
1: check it out and then holler back at you on that, but it doesn't surprise us. He's a Chiefs fan. I mean, what else is he going to say at this point? And I'm not going to lose my mind because, again, embrace the hate. Let them all hate. And by the end of the year, again, I'll say this for anyone who missed it on Monday's pod, on the bandwagon, there's no forgiving, there's no forgetting, and there's no vacancy to hop on the Broncos' train. You have to be with them during the Flacco years, the Paxson Lynch years, the Trevor Simeon years. You can't hop on now when they finally have their young hotshot quarterback. Let them hate.
2: Joe wants to know, what's your guy's opinion on the C.D. Lamb versus Jerry Judy debate? who do you guys have rated higher on your mm-hmm. board? Good so I, I was a CD Lamb. CeeDee Lamb was my number one wide receiver this year, but it was pretty close to Jerry Judy. Um, when it's all said and done, I think they're both going to have excellent NFL careers. Okay. CeeDee Lamb, I think, is just a little bit more of an explosive player. Um, Jerry Judy, not to say that he's not explosive, but they're going to both end up having really productive careers. CeeDee Lamb steps into a situation where he's got a little bit more of an entrenched starter in Dak. Right. Jerry Judy gets to benefit from a young offense on the rise, on the come, building uh, build rapport with Drew Locke. So it's anyone's guess to, to, to figure out which one of them kind of breaks out first, but I'm going to take Jerry Judy just because I think the Broncos offense is going to be fire this year.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say that, like you said, Chad, you you said it perfectly. C.D. Lamb landed in a better position in the short term. He's just surrounded by more talent. Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott. But then you have Jerry Judy who has, I think, a a good chance as the years go on and he develops with Drew Locke playing opposite Cortland Sutton to make his, his bones as well. They're both great receivers, and I think they're better looking back on it for Denver or for the Cowboys than Henry Ruggs was. It wasn't a debate as to it was Ruggs versus Lamb or Ruggs. Versus Judy, Judy versus Lamb, the top two receivers. You can't really go wrong though. And for the Broncos to get Judy at fifteen, not having to trade up, not having to move around, that was a great pick in itself.
2: Yep, and it was the guy that they wanted all along. And that's actually something I believe. Not often do I believe something that teams say about their draft picks and their draft plans and what they had, you know, in the in the in the cards and whatnot. But in the case of Jerry Judy. That was the guy they had their heart set on and the board fell basically perfectly for them to to get him. Um, Austin H., we didn't forget about you, my friend. Appreciate that super chat. He says, love the Broncos content, you guys. Always look forward to these. Keep up the good work. We as fans appreciate it. Hey, man, that means a lot to us. Thank you, my brother. We appreciate you guys. We're getting right up close to it. So let me grab these supers that have stacked up and then we'll get to this poll. And then we'll bounce out of here for tonight. James jumping back in. Gosh, appreciate you, Thank James. You, James. He said, uh, said it before, Locke oozes leadership and intangibles. He has it. Everything I've read and seen, so promising. Hashtag, that's my quarterback. Hashtag, Broncos world. He does, man. He has it. And that's one of the things that, honestly, I think was perhaps slightly underappreciated were his intangibles. It's not that no one knew he had the intangibles, because anyone you talk to, if you're a scout on the, on the draft trail and you're talking to players, you're talking to coaches, I think they all knew full well how magnetic Drew Locke was to his teammates, uh, what kind of a leader he was, what kind of a friend he was. But I still think they, the Broncos had to have been surprised at how quickly a rookie quarterback in Week 13, after that first win, man, That team just galvanized around him, and it's his team now. Like There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and especially after beating the snot out of Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans on the road. like That was, I think, the the watershed moment, which is appropriate why you listed it on your list, Zach, where the veterans, who are, let's face it, very skeptical of any quarterback not named Peyton Manning up to this point. That's where they said, okay, yeah, we can get behind this dude.
1: It's also, I think, for Broncos fans and Broncos players, a lot of recency bias. When you have quarterbacks like Joe Flacco running around and not doing anything, and when you have Kevin Hogan throwing hospital balls in preseason, it, it, you you tend to get fired up when you have a young guy coming in. And that's exactly what happened with Drew Locke. Players were running harder. They were running faster. They were playing with more intensity, more passion. It literally was like a shot of Narcan into the Broncos if you want a, a collective body to put it that way. And that's what Drew Locke, <laughs> he, he, he made Devontae Booker a better player. He made Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton better players. He made the offensive line. He made Garrett Bowles look competent. What other quarterback has done that since Bowles was drafted? Zero. That's the power and the allure of a franchise caliber guy.
2: Yep. The the uh, tide that raises all ships. Right. Let's grab a Eclipse. Very generous of you, my friend, to jump back in. Hope things have calmed down also in your neck of the woods a little yeah. bit and uh, allowed you to kind of take a breath there. He says, ultimate Broncos moment was the first Super Bowl win. Proudest Broncos moment was Davis, Terrell Davis, breaking 2,000 yards rushing. Favorite 2019 moment, the (laughs) Reisner-Lindsey-Midget-Toss-Touchdown-LOL. Hashtag embrace the hate. Hashtag 7K plus, 8K on the way, and state of being. That was, that's a great point, Eclipse, because Philip Lindsay has become like a folk hero, right? He's like, Content articles, it can be like what Philip Lindsay had for breakfast is going to get 10 times the page views at milehighhuddle.com than like breaking news, Draymond Jones, you know, said X, Y, Z. Philip Lindsay is already a legend in Denver. And so it was cool that that moment with with Reisner included him, but Reisner basically hog-tossing him across the goal Uh line. I mean, I still every once in a while just go back and watch it just to marvel at The awareness, first of all, of a rookie left guard doing that in week three, his third NFL game, and then just the grit and the drive to make it happen. And, of course, Broncos end up losing that game in Green Bay because Joe Flacco is just a horrendous quarterback at this point in his career. But still, good point there, I think, Zach.
1: And yet, you know, most fans are now content with Philip Lindsay playing for a pittance this season. They don't want to pay the guy. They don't want him to get his contract. It's just amazing how he went from being, like you said, a folk hero and a legend, a pro bowler, a, a two-time thousand-yard rusher, and in came Melvin Gordon, not to make it a Melvin Gordon conversation, and he's just chopped liver now. So hopefully he he gets back to that status in 2020.
2: Our friend Dale, wow. man. So
1: wow. you might not see him.
2: For a few pods, it might be a week or two. He's got things cooking. Things are happening for him out there in Hawaii. But when he is on the live stream, he is showing the love. And, and Dale, that's just very moving to us. We appreciate you, and you know that. You've got some uh, masks coming your way for you and yours. FYI, be looking for those here in the very near future. Mile High on face masks. He says, 1998 versus the Cowboys, <clears throat> excuse me, triplets of Troy Aikman, Abbott Smith, Michael Irving. Terrell rips a 63-yard touchdown. Very next touch, a 59-yard touchdown. 12 minutes in, TD had 140 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Broncos 42, Dallas 23. Quote of the week, no forgiveness, no forgetting, no vacancy. Zach Kelberman. Facts. Awesome deal. And that Appreciate was a, that was a huge game, dude. That was a huge game. And of course, it was the Broncos beaten what was a dynasty team as a new dynasty. And you, you're always going to wonder what, how long the Broncos could have kept that thing going if Elway doesn't decide to retire after Super Bowl 33. Uh, but that was his last stand, that 1998 season and then the ensuing Super Bowl. But that was a big-time moment, very symbolic for the Broncos too.
1: Yeah, and hopefully we get back to not reminiscing from 20 years ago. Hopefully we'll have some new memories to talk about fairly soon with Drew Locke and the new-age Broncos offense coming to, uh, coming to form.
2: Amen. All right. You know what? We might go a little bit over on tonight's podcast. I doubt that's going to break anybody's heart and not ours. Obviously, we're happy to do it, but we got to grab these supers. And then I want to talk about the result of this poll because I forgot to do it Sunday night. And then Monday we had the problems with my stinking internet. So I want to get to that. Larry jumping back in, showing some love again on super chat. Appreciate you, you, bro. Also, PFF pre-draft had Will Greer rated higher than Drew Locke, yes. FYI. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Hey, good point. And thank you for showing that. That's what I'm saying, dude, is these guys paint themselves into a corner with a really bad take. And the, the guys that you can trust stand up and, and take accountability and say, look, we're wrong. Locke's the truth or he appears to be the truth. Looks like we're probably wrong on that. Or they double down. And that's PFF at this stage has decided to double down thus exposing them in that sense for being it's it's very hackish type behaviors that
1: It's because they lean too much on the analytics and the data and the numbers and the science. This isn't a chemistry experiment. You can't do that. You have to look with your eyes and what your brain and what your gut tells you, and they would know that Drew Locke was a better prospect than Will Greer, regardless of what they did in college and and contingent on where they went into the NFL. And this is why, Chad, like we mentioned, PFF, not to crap on them, but they've kind of gone downhill, at least in terms of credibility, from NFL fan bases because a lot of, like I said, the, the, the group thing and the sheep are taking them to be the end all be all because they have numbers on their side. Who cares about numbers? I care about what I see and what I feel. I trust my own eyes. And I think a lot of NFL fans, especially Broncos fans are leading toward that metric more so than what the numbers say.
2: Well said KP jumping in $2 super. Appreciate you. Thank you. Kevin. He says, great show fellas. Hashtag love. All right. We appreciate that. My brother. Pobby also showing some love uh, with a very wow. gentle Super Chat. Thank you, Pobby. Appreciate, appreciate you, my friend. She says, awesome podcast, as always, guys. Go Broncos. Rocking the mug, rocking the T-shirt in the profile pic. We love seeing that. It's good to see you, Pobby, and thank you. All right, let me see here, make sure I'm not missing anybody. Couple, couple stacked up here. Stu jumping back in. Wow, thank you, Stu. Zeus. Man, Zeus McPeak, you guys rock! Can't wait for some football. Yeah. Amen. No, man, I was just complaining the other day, uh, Zeus. To actually, it was today. I was complaining about how much I hate June because it's literally the worst month on the NFL calendar. As a football ju- junkie and a football nerd, and a guy that you know makes a living doing Broncos content and covering the NFL, I just hate June because we're no strangers to sitting down and figuring out how to come up with ideas and things to write about. But I hate having to really go deep into the well. I like to have enough happening where inspiration is flowing. You know, it's, it's, there's a pipeline of things happening and information and whatnot. And June is just the worst, even in a non word that she'll go unmentioned year, like a traditional NFL calendars act. Minicamps end a mandatory mini camp ends usually the second week of June. Yeah, and you go second week nothing. of June until end of July, nothing. And that's basically what we've been doing now since the draft ended.
1: But you know what though I think and and in, in this year specifically we've had no sports for three months now we can all wait till September and at least we have knowledge and comfort in knowing that there's going to be an NFL season this year it's not going to be scheduled rescheduled postponed canceled we know we have that to look forward to but I agree September cannot get here soon enough
2: this was an iconic moment and it still gets my gourd that he let. Watson tackle him he just didn't know he just thought he was home free and Ben Watson with the hustle play of the freaking decade crosses the entire distance bridges the gap and Champ Bailey frankly is lucky that wasn't a touchback because it almost was like there's an argument made that it was but I agree with you that was a very symbolic moment because Brady had yet to lose in the playoffs in his career when that play took place divisional round Broncos defeat them and go on to lose to an upstart Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC title game, thus ushering in the Jay Cutler era and the end of Jake Plummer, as we knew it in Denver anyway. But, uh, all right, one last thing, and then we're going to grab – I want to talk about this, uh, this poll. One of our bona fide Super Chat superstars and Mount Rushmore members, appreciate you, David. Thank you, David. Jumping in with a $10 super to say – my favorite memory is when Elway has the helicopter dive in the Super Bowl versus the Packers, and then Mr. Bolin saying, this one's for John. I agree that both very iconic, and I think I speak for all of Broncos country. When Super Bowl 50, Broncos beat the Panthers, I didn't see it coming. Like I thought John would stand up there and say something, you know, Blovier basically in celebration of winning it all and all. And he gets up there and and the first thing he says, he hoists the Lombardi. This one's for Pat, and he screams it with such like emotion and just triumph. And all it was just, I got chills, dude. Yeah. I really got chills. And that's a, as a guy, you know, that has basically become numb to. I'm not a guy that, you know, I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I used to be a guy that when I'd watch my team play, dude, I'd literally feel my adrenaline pump, and like I would be so locked in. The stakes couldn't have been higher. If they won, I'd have a great week. If they lost, sure enough, I'd have a crappy week. You know, That's who I was for a long, long time. Covering this team for as long as I have now, it kind of forces you to disassociate if you're going to be good at
1: your job. But still, Zach, that moment, this one's for Pat, iconic. I think you nailed it with the triumph. I mean, that was one of the biggest upsets in Super Bowl history, and that was Elway's highlight peak moment as a general manager. He had won as a player, but he had been unproven to that point or at least uh, unaccomplished on a national scale to that point as a general manager. And for him to hoist Lombardi after Von Miller just wrecks Cam Newton's career, and it's one of the biggest upsets. And to say that for Pat Boland, Chad, I mean, like you said, chills and goosebumps I think were were was the res, you know the resounding – feeling throughout Broncos country.
2: Okay. Let me grab this poll real quick. I want to get your thoughts on it. We need to talk about it really quick here. So we got a little bit of blowback. actually had several, hopefully you guys can see this. I know most of you, a lot of you anyway, voted on this, but I had some members of the community reach out and say, dude, that is the dumbest question you could have asked in a poll. This is like a no brainer. But as you can see, it's not quite a no brainer. There's a lot of people That did not vote for Rod Smith as the number one all-time wide receiver in Broncos history. Rod Smith did get a overwhelming majority, 71%. But 26%, Zach, of people say Demarius Thomas is the Broncos' greatest receiver all time. So my question, and then you know, a a vote or two for Vance Johnson and a vote or two for Lionel Taylor, both of whom have their place in in Broncos canon. Mm -hmm. But my question to you on this is. Do you think this is just a generation gap? This is people who don't remember the 90s, don't remember the early 2000s. And the last thing, it's a kind of a uh, recency bias type thing.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it's the younger generation, Chad. You have to remember, a lot of people became pseudo-Broncos fans when Peyton Manning signed there, and Demarius Thomas had a ton of success under Peyton Manning. So absolutely, not a lot of younger Broncos fans maybe remember Rod Smith or appreciate how good he was, but they all saw Demarius Thomas, starting with Tim Tebow even, taking that long pass to the house in the playoffs. I mean, that was just his first iconic moment. He had a great career, I would still give it a Rod Smith though, but absolutely generation bias, I would say.
2: I mean, Rod Smith is the man. And I wanted to talk about this on tonight's show just so that I could share my appreciation for Rod Smith because he's another one of these guys that unfortunately is suffering from the Bronco bias in the Pro Football Hall of Fame voting committee. He's a guy that should be in the conversation, but he's not even in the conversation. He's not even mentioned in that. As a guy to, who went undrafted, former college quarterback who converted to wide receiver to try and stick on an NFL roster, to go undrafted to win two Super Bowls, back-to-back, multiple Pro Bowls, and eclipse 10,000 uh, career receiving yards, mm-hmm. if that's a Dallas Cowboy, if that's a Green Bay Packer, if that's a New York Giant, if that's a Pittsburgh Steeler, my dude is in the Hall of Fame. And Rod Smith as well, what's really cool about him to to just add to the whole, I guess, resume, is that he continues to make himself available to the Broncos and impact Broncos football to this day. He he hasn't played since whatever it was, I think 2006 was his last year, if I'm not mistaken. But he comes in, and anytime the, the Broncos need him, he comes in and he'll talk to wide receivers, he'll coach wide receivers up, He'll speak in team meetings, you know, rally the troops, so to speak. You know, he's been making himself even more available, kind of like Steve Atwater in terms of Broncos, team site, you know, digital yeah. media. And he's just an overall guy that, uh, you know, I would want to see like NFL Network, for example, make a, a show like they did for a while. They're called the Missing Rings member and is basically they had America's game for each year's world champion. And then they even had a series of teams who should have won it all, but for whatever reason, didn't. And I would like to see them have a feature of guys who deserve Hall of Fame recognition but aren't getting it as a means to not only celebrate what they did as players, but also to maybe build up a little momentum for them in the court of public opinion. And Rod Smith could use that.
1: I have hope that Rod Smith will eventually get some Hall of Fame consideration. I'm hoping that Steve Atwater and Pat Bowlen, their inductions, kind of broke the seal and kind of, you know, shifted the Broncos' bias away from Canton. But we'll have to see. But we all know every Broncos fan who's worth their salt knows how good Rod Smith was to this organization. And like you said, Chad, he's still making an impact by coaching the younger players, commenting on the younger players, putting himself in the public eye. Great guy, great player. It's a shame he's not in. Uh, he doesn't have a bust. David, jumping back
2: in, appreciate you. He says, you. Ed McCaffrey should also be in the conversation. And Ed has one of my all-time most iconic moments, that blindside – not blindside, but that block in Super Bowl thirty-two. when it's put on slow motion. You see him as the dude's literally fallen on his back, blown off the ball, and Ed's pointing, putting his finger right in his face like – as he's fallen, dude. Yeah. I, Ed McCaffrey is the man, of course. You know, father of Christian McCaffrey as well. All right, there's one last thing I wanted to get to here from Kenneth Booker, um, and then we'll get out of here for tonight. Is there any Bronco in the past you had really high hopes for but didn't end up panning out? I have yeah. Bobby Humphrey from the '89 class. Yeah, Bobby Humphrey blew the doors down as a rookie, at least you know, thousand-yard rusher, and then he kind of disappeared and got eventually supplanted by Gaston Green and and who was it? Uh, Rod Bernstein. Gaston Green, another guy that kind of came out of nowhere to do a lot for the Broncos pre-Shanahan, 1,000-yard rusher pre-Shanahan. I would say, though, Kenneth, to answer your question, Mike Kroll, I want to say 91 first-round pick, high pick too. Had a great rookie year like Bobby Humphrey and then disappeared. So Mike Kroll for me would be one. But, Zach, from I'm sure there's quite a few (laughs) you can think of uh, since you started covering the team.
1: Yeah, there's more. I think misses than hits, at least in a, in a certain time span. But Paxton Lynch, I mean, I I didn't have super high hopes for the guy, but I did not think he'd be that bad. End up crying on the bench before he gets cut. So um, Garrett Bowles, who an extent he was going to be the franchise left tackle, they passed on Ryan Ramchick to select him. There's some other types as well. Royce Freeman didn't really, he hasn't really panned out. Um, Demarcus Walker hasn't panned out. There's a lot of players I think in recent years who did not just cut it for Denver.
2: Well said. Last one here, guys, and then we got to get out of here. From Discount Audio and Wills, DA Dub, very generous super. It's good to see you, my friend. He says, what's up, fellas? Finally got a chance to catch you guys live. Been super busy but wanted to continue my support whenever I can, fellas. That means a lot. Appreciate you. How's the store doing, by the way? Let us know before we X on out of here for tonight. Hope the store's rocking and rolling, the brick and mortar, and that things are moving along for you, my friends. Good to see you, and thank you for the super All right, guys, we got to get out of here for tonight. Thank you for joining us. We're about 13 minutes over, but it felt like we've been on talking here for 10 minutes. It just flies by, but thank you for joining us guys. Make sure you are following the podcast on Twitter at huddle up pod while you're at, at mile high huddle. As you can see here, you can find my partner Zach Kelberman at Kelberman NFL on Twitter and myself at Chad and Jensen Stay tuned because tomorrow night is the Mile High Mailbag. So if we didn't get to a comment, if we didn't get to a question tonight, save it. We'll get to it tomorrow. Uh, I promise you that. And Derek Lynch jumping in real quick. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Never been so hungry for football. You guys are impressively intelligent with football. I learn something new every single show. Zach, you killed the solo show. Hashtag football IQ. Very kind. means a lot. Thank you, Derek. Very really cool good. of you to say. All right, guys and uh, Ryan Whoa. there's Christy there's the queen later uh, where'd he go I want to just because we don't often shout out our Periscope guys good to see you my friend appreciate the love and uh, support guys we're out of here for tonight we'll be back tomorrow same time 6 p.m. Mountain 8 p.m. Eastern for the Mile High Mailbag see you then Zach have a good night my brother
1: you as well everyone else out there have a good night we'll see you guys
2: tomorrow for the Mailbag Mile High salute to our Super Chat superstars for Zach Kelberman I'm Chad Jensen we will
0: You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation
3: going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore.